Is America great again yet? I can't tell. This is Corey, and this is the Yoda Anthem Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Rob. Welcome to episode 321 of the Yoda Anthem Podcast, coming to you from, oh, mother... All over the city yet again. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for listening on your podcast of choice. The easiest way, anchor.fm forward slash O the Anthem. Yep, and uh, of course, if you're watching right now, you're probably watching live, whether that's on Twitch, on Facebook, on Twitter via Periscope, uh, or directly on YouTube, at all those sources, at OD Anthem. Uh, make sure you follow us there so you get notifications when we go live. Uh, and of course, uh, no matter what, we bring out new content every single week. Whatever it takes, we're here with new content, even when it seems like perhaps my building may get burned down by the end of the podcast. <laughs> Pussy ass curfew, be damned. <laughs> so, Corey, yes. up first, we're back remote. Uh, I put in the caption to the episode, just when you think we get out, they push us back in. Uh, so, do you want to explain to everybody what's going on? Uh, well, uh, Los Angeles is one of the many cities in the country that is currently uh, on some form of curfew or lockdown. Um, and... It's uh, annoying because they keep changing it every single day. Like, I got three Amber Alert messages. Like, the same message you get when you get an Amber Alert going, like, curfew at 7. And then, like, 20 minutes later, it was, like, curfew at 6. And it's, like, curfew now. And then another message from, like, like Garcetti was trying to get out going, like, no, 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 it's 6. It's not now. But, like, at, like, 4.30, well, I was just, like, oh, so everyone go home? Is that... Corey, I have an update. I'm, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if you could see what's happening here. <laughs> At my location, but uh, this may be why we're under quarantine uh, once again. Uh, as you can see, there's a vehicle burning behind me. It appears to be... Oh, wait. That's a NYPD van. Um, okay, so maybe it's not directly <laughs> so it's not me. Maybe it's not you. <laughs> it could be another problem. Could maybe it's some issue. sort of trickery that's going on. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so um, some a little bit of unknown... Uh, we actually uh, were uh, at the uh, hashtag OTA LA studios over the weekend and we got, um, what do you want to call it? Uh, curfewed in on yeah. Saturday night and uh, bear almost got curfewed in on Sunday night because uh, of another project that we're working on that will be out in a few weeks. Um, we were trying to wrap that up and just like today, as Corey explained, they kept bumping up the curfew time while we were working and right. just like, all right, we got to call it. Let's get out of here and, uh, and go do something else. So, um, we got back and then today seemed like it was pretty calm, but then out in, I mean, maybe I was at work and I wasn't, uh, actually keeping you know. abreast of it. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't it, seem like there was much, as much lawlessness today in LA. It seemed like things remained pretty peaceful for the most part. Yeah, and it's it's confusing. I don't know why why the curfew. Why are we pushing the curfew if earlier today the mayor was talking about releasing some of the National Guard troops back to their homes? Why are we going under curfew yet again? I I imagine that uh they're going to sort of be like working their way out of the curfew. If I can imagine, it's just that their thought process is that if uh it's just one day the curfew isn't there, then that's everyone's excuse to go out. Yeah, Whereas, true. like, yeah. if there's like, hey, we're gonna let the national guard go, and we'll, you know, we'll we'll be fine, and uh, you know, we'll just do it with the LAPD, then maybe people go out but uh, protest less because they feel like there's not the government watching them, kind of aspect of it. 
I also think that maybe sending the National Guard back is part of a uh, thing to swart Trump and his uh, <laughs> desire to send the military into major American cities. But uh, we'll get to that later. When yeah, we get to, yeah. Get to that part of the conversation. I think what, so, what, what really is amazing to me is that we last recorded on Sunday last week. So it was eight days ago. Seven yes. days ago is when George Floyd was murdered by the police. Yes. So since we've last recorded we've we've been pretty much you know like going through all this in real time with you guys so this is our first opportunity to catch up since then um first thing i i I, something we talked about a little bit i I figured it would be good for the audience to hear uh the officer who did the kneeling on the neck of george floyd has been charged with third degree murder so far none of the other officers have been charged with anything uh why what is the legal justification for going for third degree murder as opposed to first or second degree murder? So, yeah. And, and, uh, I think it was the ride to the studio on Saturday where we discussed this, uh, in kind of in depth, but, um, I agree. I think it's very important that we discuss this because one of the calls in Minneapolis is, you know, to arrest the other officers, which obviously should happen. Um, and I do want to point out for everybody, something I brought up to Corey over the weekend that, a new video came out after the fact. And in that video, it's not just the kneeling on the neck, which, by the way, there were three officers plus one who was doing crowd control, three of them kneeling directly on him. But once they got him up and into the car, then we saw a video of them basically holding the doors open and punching and kicking him while he's in the back of the car. Yeah. And maybe that was because he was in the process of cardiac arrest and just trying to get some attention and nobody was giving him attention. Um, I saw another video, uh, completely unrelated, but during the protest now, of a, a group of two NYPD officers trying to get a suspect down. And they had his head pinned under a, the wheel of a car, the tire of a car. Mm. And so because of that, he could not roll over in the direction that they were trying to roll him over and they treated it like they were fight- he was fighting them. So one of them just pulled out their revolver and shot him in the chest. And then after the shot goes off, he goes limp. And basically they could turn him wherever they wanted. And they roll him over and they lock him up. And um, it just I was reminded when I saw that video that who knows what was going on in the back of that car. Yeah. But there is a high likelihood well, that... I'll, he was I'll, in distress. I'll tell you one thing, and I don't know. I it, the problem with uh, the laws around policing in this country is that we don't know anything uh, from the police side of things yet. And uh, one of the things, uh, certainly from that video where you were talking about, where it looked like uh, the officer was basically punching him with the door open. Yeah. But you couldn't quite tell what the action was behind the door, but it looked like some sort of physical altercation. The, yeah, much like the screen right now, this is what we saw. Uh, wait, let me see if I can get it in here. We saw. Yeah. So we don't know. We don't going. know what's on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can make assumptions that you know you don't just punch the air. But I mean, like something. when I was watching that, the one of the other cops who was acting as a lookout basically yeah. had his body <laughs> camera perfectly pointed at what was going on. So I mean, under uh. under a reasonable assumption if that body cam is rolling which it should be because you know they were in the middle of a stop uh we would have a pretty good view of what happened right there Mm -hmm. but then here's the other problem and and uh i I feel like something that collectively uh people who are protesting this should should try and push for a little bit more we pay for the body cameras we pay for you know uploading the 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 footage to uh some sort of cloud storage 
and the cops get to decide which ones we get to see. The prosecutors get to decide which ones we see. I well, say fair, in Baltimore, we also pay for the guy to edit the footage and then record it on his cell right. phone and then release it. So, yeah, yeah. You know. uh, just uh, check out Undisclosed uh, Freddie Gray for more on that one. That that was uh, enlightening. Uh, um, it, it's to me, it just seems like uh, it, we should be able to basically watch any body cam at any time. Like we should be able to just make like a Freedom of Information Act request and it's automatically granted because <laughs> this is taxpayer money going towards this. Much the same think? as it's taxpayer money going towards all the police that are on the street right now way more than ever uh, because they need to have a huge show of force to uh, make people think twice about police violence, I guess. I, I, I never understood this part of it either. Nothing like police brutality at the protest against police brutality. <laughs> Sends I, a message. I keep looking out and seeing like lines of five or six police cars like all driving together. Maybe sometimes as much as like 10 or 15 police cars just like driving in a line to whatever they're going to. And all I can think of any time I see it is like how much I don't want to see the police. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. How much yeah. it's like, you know, like when you're mad at your it, like, it's not a uh, perfect example. But if you're like mad at your girlfriend and you're just like, I don't want to see you for like a day. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Give yeah. me some time. I'm going to have a guy's night tonight. I don't want to see you. That's how I feel about the police right now. I don't want to see you right now. And yet you're everywhere. (laughs) Sounds like they're every day of my life. I don't know. Um, But so, yeah, back uh, back to the main topic, which uh, is third degree murder. So obviously the rest of the officers should be charged. And what I'm about to say may be changed by, as Corey pointed out, the body cam footage of what happened in the back of the car. But. Based on the footage that we have seen thus far, which is just the footage of what happened in the street, uh, law in Minnesota, and I I guess I'll preface this by saying uh, I am a qualified attorney in so much as I have gone to law school and passed the bar. However, I have not practiced law, especially defense law, in about five years. So I suppose take that with a grain of salt, if you will. However, it is my understanding. And you don't know Minnesota law exactly. 100%. I am barred only in the state of Maryland, nowhere else. Uh, I certainly don't know Minnesota law. I only know that I have an ability more than maybe Corey or other people to read a law and understand what that's actually supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did review the uh, Minnesota statute on murder, and my understanding it is uh, this way, that in some states there are different charges of degrees, meaning first-degree murder and second-degree murder are separate charges. However, other states treat it as there are degrees of a charge, meaning murder in the first degree, murder in the second degree. Now, the problem is uh, with Minnesota and with other states that first degree murder requires two exacerbating circumstances. Number one, that you have pre-planned, even if it was only, eh, I think that they've gone down to even like in the moment, like... Uh, we get into an argument, Corey walks away, and then I see a pipe on the ground, and I look at Corey, and I realize I could clock him with that pipe and never have to worry about this again. Yeah. So now I grab the pipe and pursue and hit him. That's enough pre-planning. So it doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, Ocean's Eleven uh, for it to be pre-planning. It could just be a minimal amount. But pre-planning, and you have to have the intent to kill. Or the intent to maim that would might bring forward killing. So yeah. again, using the example of the pipe and Corey, I don't know that clocking him in the head with a metal pipe will kill him. 
But I should know that at best it is going to cause a grievous injury that could lead to his death. Yeah, or, or enough so that you would, if it did kill me, you wouldn't be surprised, and you would expect that murder charges would be brought in that sort of situation. Right. I, I throw a pillow at Corey, and it breaks his neck, and he dies. Now I'm in a, where, or a zone of like, well, one, I didn't intend harm, and two, there really shouldn't have been an expectation of that harm yeah. once we got there. Um, but it just so happens that in this case... Uh, he has a very fragile neck, and by hitting it with the pillow, I cost his death. Well, that's where we get to third degree. Well, third so, degree murder. So, isn't uh, uh, excuse me here, but I mean, like, isn't yeah. the uh, isn't there like an eggshell uh, doctrine in like a Supreme Court ruling somewhere where it's like just because you're seen as like a fragile individual doesn't necessarily give you an exemption if you accidentally kill somebody. So it's actually exactly the opposite, and it's in torts, not in criminal law. Uh, the eggshell defendant says that you take the defendant as you find him. So if I um, have a defendant who, due to a birth defect, has a weak neck, and I give him a shove, and that shove to Corey might cause no damage or very little, that this defendant, it causes a spinal rip or a spinal break and months of rehabilitation, well, too bad. You now are on the hook for that because you caused the damage and the tort was me pushing you. Now, mm. Corey could sue me and he might get some relief. Most likely, this is one of those cases that Corey would get a dollar where the jury would be like, listen, he didn't really suffer any injury. But yes, he did. He acted. He was negligently. Wrong. Yes, he was wrong. And now we're going to give you a symbolic dollar for that. Um, so in torts, you have to take your defendant as they are. But we ignore that when it comes to the criminal law. Because it's about actual harm. Uh, if you, uh, if I pushed you and no harm was co had come to it, you couldn't go to the police and argue like, well, if I had a neck injury, that could have killed me. Like, no, that, that's not how it works. Right. But if you do have a neck injury and I shove you, I am still responsible for the results of that. Gotcha. So um, third degree is generally what we now consider depraved heart murder. Uh, it was actually one of two causes of murder under the old English system where it doesn't require pre-planning and it doesn't require an intent to kill. What it basically means is you uh, acted neg negligently or with wanton disregard for the uh, safety or health of others. Uh, in this specific murder case, it's wanton disregard for human life. And that is a very English phrase, which essentially just means... The way you acted was negligently or you acted so out of bounds to normal, the way a normal person would act. At, and you did so knowing that an injury may result, which might result in death, and you did it anyway. So the big question that's come up in this Minneapolis case is the difficulty of intent. And can you prove that when the officer knelt on George Floyd's neck that he intended to kill him? And... That is a very, very difficult thing to prove, especially with a peace officer acting in the bounds of his own, of his uh, uh, duties, essentially. Yeah. Um, and the risk of charging first degree murder is that you've now charter, charged murder in the first degree. Now, a jury could, could possibly include third degree murder as a lesser included offense, but generally they don't. 
they will step down from murder to manslaughter. And then from manslaughter down to voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, um, and then reckless, whatever, acting yeah. reckless under the color of law. So what a prosecutor is looking at is if I try first degree murder, I have to show there was some pre-planning and that his intent was to kill. And if I do have to show both of those things and I can't, it's far more likely that the jury will go to manslaughter, which I, I believe in Minnesota is like a 15, uh, 15 to 30 or 15 to, uh, 10 to 10 to 25 as opposed to murder, which is 40 to life in any degree. Yeah. So if I go with third degree murder, the penalty is still the same as first degree murder, but the bar is far lower because I don't have to show intent. Yeah. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense to charge this as third degree murder. Instead, I don't care what the officer intended to do. What I can say is that nine out of 10 people or 99, maybe 90 out of a hundred people who I tell them to kneel on the neck of someone would say, I'm not going to do that because that guy might get hurt. That's all you really have to show. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this Um, case too, it's just 12 of 12 you need to convince. And that is really what it comes down to is you have to, you have to show 12 people of on a jury that he acted in a way that was out of bounds for human decency to another human being. And with that bar so very low, there's a higher likelihood of conviction at the top level. Now, if you fail at third degree murder, you can still step down to manslaughter, but it's so much easier to prove third degree murder at that point that it's just a wanton disregard for human life. Well, do you, it's uh, a, go ahead. Right now, right now, do you think that the charges are for the purposes of like basically saying they charged him with something and there would be more that would come on the docket later or, uh, oh, that, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, this is a, this is a Mosby move. If you want to start classifying it as that. Yeah. It's a Mosby move. Um, this was, let's try and charge him with something that we know we can make stick so that everybody calms down. What they didn't take into Good account. Good job. <laughs> yeah. What they didn't take into account is, one, why don't you charge the other four guys? Because if you're moving under third degree murder, every person who kneeled on his back had the same wanton disregard for human life. Now... They were hidden by the the vehicle, so they're not on the video. But you know who they are. Yeah. And we know who they are. And we're going to pretend that that's not the case. So uh, it's something that you brought up actually on Saturday that like where this could have been a pressure release, the way that it was in Baltimore, all six were charged on the same day. And Marilyn Mosby trots out there and says, we are going to get justice for Freddie. There is going to be justice. Let's not take this to a violent place on the street. Minneapolis instead charged one of them. And rather than getting this big pressure release, it actually caused the pressure to rise because everyone else is saying now, what about these other guys? Yeah. And I, I, uh, it, By the way, you know who the district attorney is in Minneapolis? Oh, I'm sorry, not district attorney, the attorney general? Uh, Keith Minnesota? Ellison. Keith Ellison. Yeah, Why he, do we know that name, Corey? Uh, because he was uh, running for the head of the DNC. He was a, he was a Bernie-crat, if you will, uh, running for the head of the DNC. And the same one that had uh, Pete Buttigieg, too. Because it was Buttigieg, Ellison, and Tom Perez who eventually got the, got the nod. Yep. Um... um he was our pick, if I remember correctly. Who, Keith Elson? Yep, as yeah. a man of color from a Midwest state. 
yeah, more more on the, the progressive side of things. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought would have helped in the DNC, but uh, they didn't go that way. But now he's in the uh, attorney general's office, which I didn't know. <laughs> I thought yeah. he was still a congressman, but um, yep. yeah, I mean, it, it, it at least seems like uh, somebody who would be interested in properly charging this case will be in charge of it. But I said that before about many district attorneys and I've been well, or state's attorneys and I've been wrong before. And, and just to clarify, he is the attorney general of Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not trying to minimize attorney, his title. I was just. Yeah. The state's attorney for the district of Minneapolis in a way reports to him in a way doesn't because it's also an elected position. But it's like, Keith, I know that Keith Ellison is on the phone with that guy in Minneapolis. Like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Uh, and he said as much on CNN this morning. So hopefully. Well, they had um, a they had a thing, too, where uh, apparently there was some sort of conflict of interest inside of the prosecutor's office that would have kept them from uh, handling this case properly, which is always something you want to hear when it comes to a police violence case. But I just I and I mean, listen, if you need any more evidence that these guys are all on the same team, how many cases do we have to hear about prosecutors dating cops? And that they are then somehow recusing themselves from a case when it involves police violence. But you know when they don't recuse themselves? When it's your ass sitting in the defendant seat and the guy who stopped you, the guy who arrested you, is the person that they're in a relationship with. Yeah. And I just... Here's it. I was a defense attorney for five years. And I can tell you one thing that I would never have done. I would not have gotten involved with a police officer. Because it would, I think it would compromise my ability to represent clients if I have to worry or ask my client, somebody who, they tell me this story and I get the way that I do. Uh, now it's all guillotines and shutting down and marching to the sea. Back then it was all about like filing motions and actually believing that some change could actually happen in the system. And then that gets just railroaded by like, oh wait, who's your arresting officer? Oh, sorry. That's um, my boyfriend. Yeah, not going to be able to do that. I apologize. Um, but let me just point you out to some people who are like, eh, not as fired up about, you know, taking on the police as I am, but I'm sure they'll give you a, a good representation. Yeah. Um, but before we uh, before we move on, I just want to uh, do a quick update and uh, still on fire. Still, still burning. Everything uh, looks like it's uh, uh, basically 2020 in a nutshell. Just one big old trash fire. So good to know. Get it out. Back to L.A. Um, so, uh, what's in it? Sorry, I'm looking through the, uh, oh, the protest. protest. So, yeah. yeah so, um, we talked about a little bit about in that uh, that people are still protesting in Minneapolis. It wasn't the pressure relief valve that uh, we had discussed it maybe being. Um, the problem is, and I mean, I think this is uh, something very important to talk about, that not everybody who's out there is only out there because of George Floyd. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of people whenever there's a, a thing like this where it gets co-opted by other sides. So uh, there are certainly a lot of people out there who are just generally anti-police or anti-police violence. Uh, and I would say there's a lot of white people included in that group who are there, you know, and young kids too. And I really think about it in terms of like, where they might have been when Michael Brown got killed or something like that. You know, like uh, you you have to you have to sort of think about like when these transcendent moments hit them. And if they were 13 at the time, 
and now they're 21, then they're more likely to be uh, inclined to go out and protest and rally and everything like that. Um, yeah, a bunch of the, the kids who work for me, who aren't kids, they're in their early 20s, uh, we were talking today, and uh, one of them asked, like, well, aren't you going to go out there and, and, like, start getting involved? And I was like, listen, it's not 2014 anymore. Like, it's not 2015. And it's weird for me to think that way, but, like, I got a knee that needs rehabbing. Like, I'm in uh, a long-term relationship now. It's not just about me making dumb decisions. Um, so I have to do uh, – make different decisions. Well, and, the uh- the, the I other... realized, though, that the, to your point that they were in middle school when I was on the streets marching for Freddie Gray. These 20 year olds were 14 when Michael Brown died. They were 14 or 15 when Freddie Gray died. Like, that is an insane notion to me. Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I, I see a lot of people sort of uh, more from the Black Lives Matter end of the, the protest sort of uh, getting upset that there are people who are uh, piggybacking on the movement that they're trying to to create right now. And uh, for the most part, Black Black Lives Matter has been very nonviolent in the way that they've been portraying this. Uh, But we do have a comment. We have a comment in the stream to this effect. Uh, Ashley Boyer uh, coming in from, I believe, Delaware. Um, What do you think about uh, martial law? Do you think looters are protesting or looking for opportunities? And I mean, I think this is where you're going, Corey, right? That there are people taking advantage of yes, what's going on out there. Yes, but I, I also think that uh, there can be a way that people are taking advantage of the situation and protesting something at the same time. Uh, specifically here in L.A., something that was interesting that didn't happen in previous riots that have happened throughout the city's history is that it seemed like there was more opportunity or opportunism about where certain protests were happening. So Beverly Hills got hit. Santa Monica got hit right by the Grove got hit. Like these are sort of, uh, areas where there's more, uh, more things that somebody would want to steal. Like, you know, it, it makes a lot more sense to, to rob a Gucci store than it does to rob some like little electronic store, you know, or corner store in your neighborhood kind of thing, you know? So I think there has been a lot of people most of the most of what seems to be the violence or the fires or anything like that seems to be started by instigators who are who are trying to get involved. And you know, there's also a part of this that I think that people have been locked up in their houses for a while and they see people out on the street and they see people doing destructive things and then they think, "Oh, it's okay now." That's part of the the problem too. Like if if you remember on uh, the the night where uh, Stephanie Rawlings Blake said we want to give them space to destroy, uh, <laughs> she never said that. <laughs> what? Uh, they, it did not. You know, it was it was pretty. It, it was it was contentious, but it wasn't violent at any point. And then as soon as the looting started, it really got kicked up. Like as soon as one person broke a window, windows were breaking all over the place. And it's it's more of the thing of like, I, I feel like there's a, a degree of criminality, which is I'm going to do this if everyone else is doing it. You do it with speeding all the time. If everyone yeah. else on the road is going 80, then you're going 82 because you're doing that logic of like, oh, well, who's the cop going to stop all of us? Like, how, how are you going to get all five of the people going 80 miles an hour? You know, 
Um, and I, I, I think there's some opportunism that's going on with people who are looting and, you know, causing property damage and stuff like that. And I don't condone it, but at the same time, I think that I, I try, especially right now, not judge people on the situations that they might be in because some people who might be looting might be in the same situation that we make so often in like parables of the Bible. Like, is it wrong for a man to steal bread for his family? Like if somebody has right. not has lost their job, they haven't been able to pay rent their their life is in a constant state of flux right now. And this is an opportunity to lash out at people that they feel have wronged them and like get something out of the deal. I, I, I can't say that I don't rationalize that somewhere on a, on a, on a base human level. I, not that I would do it, but I understand how somebody could be driven to that point. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, I Ashley is on the East coast. Um, Thank you for joining us for the show, Ashley. We appreciate you coming in. Of course, everybody can join us. Uh, we can take comments live from uh, either Facebook, from Twitch, from uh, Periscope on Twitter. So feel free to send in your comments and we'll display them right down at the bottom of your screen uh, where you can see the person's comments uh, from all of those streams. Uh, I will say one thing, martial law. Uh, Corey and I, uh, a little later on, are going to get into martial law, yeah, we the are. Insurrection Act of 1807, and the Posse Comitatus Act, um, which are all very different things. So uh, if you're having any interest in martial law, stick around to the end. Um, and I'll say, you know, one thing, I, I sent Corey uh, the first chapter from my as yet forthcoming book, which I think will be the most controversial of every book that I've ever published. Um, and I pointed out there that in any situation like this, there are three types of people who are out right now. There are peaceful protesters who are in the, the vein of Gandhi or Martin Luther King, just trying to utilize the first amendment, the right to peacefully protest, to peacefully assemble, to uh, have free speech, to make their point known. Um, then there are always going to be, as Corey has pointed out, a second group, which are people who are taking advantage of a bit of the chaos that's going on. And in society, I've been pointing this out all weekend long, There, we are have wealth disparity that is unconscionable right now. And poverty levels are at the highest that they've been in the history of the world. We are the richest country to ever have existed in the history of the world. And we are also the ones with per capita and looking at a spread of wealth disparity, have the poorest population given the wealth of the country. And it's unconscionable that that is a fact, but you tie in that systematic poverty, the systematic wealth disparity with people being trapped inside for two months and some of those people losing their jobs. And, you know, uh, I think most states have rent eviction uh, statutes on right now where they can't be evicted, but Florida reopened their court and 13,000 evictions were, were made on the same day. Yeah. Like that is what people are looking at. So there's a lot of desperation. And there's a lot of anger. And that's where this group is coming in. It's people who are not politically minded to the most part, but they're angry and they want to express anger. And I'm not going to say it can't be condoned. I, I The policy of the podcast is that no violence is to ever be condoned. Uh, I will make a separate video on my own channel, not associated with Corey whatsoever, where I will discuss my personal policy on violence. But um, I'll wrap that up with saying that there is a third group. There is a third group who is not, who is politically minded and is making a protest, but they are not following the guidelines of Martin Luther King or Gandhi. They are following the guidelines of early Malcolm X, of James Baldwin, of 
the Black Panthers from 1968 and saying, you do not have the ability to limit what I do as protest. And uh, essentially the book that I'm working on is an a educational, a critique of the, the notion that only the government has the right to use violence in a way that's acceptable. And we have to, def- we have to, to get ourselves out of that notion because the reality is violence is a tool that can be used just like other tools in the repertoire. A policeman can use his baton, he can use pepper spray, he can use a taser, or he can use a gun, whether that's with rubber bullets or regular bullets. They can use tear gas. They have a repertoire they can use against you. You, as a protester, should feel as though you have a repertoire to use against them as well. But again, that is not the policy of the podcast. That's my personal (laughs) policy. It is the foundational argument of the book uh, that is coming out. So, um, where? But I think that everyone can agree that that the burning, the, well, burning aside, the looting is <sighs> things can be replaced. Lies can't re- be replaced. And I'll continue to make that argument. But I, I, I would, see it's I would say, you know, as much as I, I dislike the idea of the looting and stuff like that, I, I do think there is a uh, one of the things I, I me and Rob were kind of talking about when we were watching footage of it on Saturday was. For some of these businesses, it's probably for the best, actually, that it happened because they'll get huge insurance payouts that they are not getting right now because insurance companies are fighting tooth and nail for companies or for uh, businesses that have been closed from COVID and trying to mm-hmm. argue that this is not like and, you know, like uh, the state shutting down businesses, not their fault. And, you know, yep. it, uh, you didn't have uh, pandemic insurance. So sorry for you and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, we have the uh, the video out of Minneapolis where it appears as though it's a police officer, but there was an allegation that it was actually an employee of the auto zone breaking the windows to encourage people to, to continue the violence. Yeah. Because, hey, they've been closed for two months, and this is a way that we can actually get an insurance payout. So it's not beyond the pale that that might be a factor. We've seen videos from... Seattle videos from Oakland videos from Atlanta and Miami where it appears as though either the police or people who aren't really associated with the protest are kind of the ones starting the breaking of the windows and then the people who are there to take advantage are like well that window's already broken I'm just gonna go in well that's so that's one of the things that really kind of is bothering me about this whole situation is that uh I I want everyone to feel like they're welcome at a protest that at the end, I think everyone has similar goals. Everyone wants to put restrictions on police power and police violence. Uh, from the Black Lives Matter side of it, obviously, there is more of a tilt towards the systematic racism that is involved in uh, police violence, which is obvious and very clear. Uh, but I don't think that it necessarily takes away the value of the idea that cops, regardless of the inherent racism that they're showing, are still awful to everybody, regardless of race. Yes. Uh, yeah. Every, I, I, you know, just because white people don't necessarily have the same stories of being treated, you know, completely unconstitutionally and, uh, you know, being uh, the focus of police attention as much. I feel like there's just as many stories that I've had with friends who are white who have, you know, like the cops said I was going 50, but I didn't go over 50. And then I showed up to court and he lied in front of the judge and I didn't have anything to prove it wrong and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
I mean, it, listen, uh, I've maintained for a long time they are the nation's, the band of blue, not your department, but police officers as a whole are the largest gang and or domestic terrorist organization that we have. Several years ago, I got the direction of their ire, and I was getting pulled over twice, three times a week for petty little stuff, petty little stuff. But just, they were like, hey, I get paid the same no matter what, and if I can make you late for court, or if I can inconvenience you somehow, I'm going to do that. Yeah. And it's not to say that uh, at the center of whatever the eventual solution that we that we all agree to is shouldn't include a large amount of uh, accommodations for the racial aspect of violent policing. But I think that to ignore that that uh, other people can feel the effects of an uh, corrupt police department is not outside of the vein, you know. And I think that while I would appreciate it if the uh, more predominantly white protesters who seem to be causing uh, damage would calm down with that a little bit, uh, I also understand that everyone feels like they have a different path forward on this, you know? Yeah. And when you have so many conflicting people who are all trying to get together under the same you know, banner of protest. It's it's going to get a little bit confused. Just look at uh, uh, Occupy. When yes. Occupy started, oh, and all of a sudden, every single person who had a view on how the economy should be changed was down there spouting their, their principles. At the end, if there is a moment where, you know, there is a group of leaders from the protest and a group of leaders from government of some, si- uh, some kind, whether it's local or state or federal or whatever... Uh, if there is a if there is a uh, a meeting, then I would hope that uh, you know, like everyone is uh, everyone is uh, heard at this point, you know. Well, and people may remember that uh, Occupy Baltimore. I was asked to leave and not return because uh, I basically found a group of people who essentially were asking for the same thing, but couldn't see that they were, and I was like, listen. This is what we should ask for. You all can basically agree for that. So give me your proxy and then let's quiet some of the voices and I'll be the only one who speaks. And if you find out that I spoke wrongly and you don't agree with it, feel free to pull your proxy at any time. But the through Vignaraja mean... defense. <laughs> but yeah, like listen, so this way, a, you know, a quarter of the audience, everyone standing on this side of the circle has one person speaking and that will make an impact. And uh, then I was asked to not return because I was organizing political parties inside of the movement, which apparently was frowned upon in this establishment. So, so um, but let's do a let's do a quick check in. Sorry, hang on, Corey. Let's uh, let me check in. Still on so, fire. Still burning. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of the problems. Uh, I feel like the natural place to go from here is. Where do we find the solution? Who can give us a solution? Well, first of all, we need we need the pressure to come off the situation like ASAP. And my the problem I find is that nobody at this particular moment seems prepared to be that person. Um, f- for whatever people may I think, I am prepared. <laughs> I America, I am prepared. Listen, <laughs> go out to your protest, chant my name, and let them know. Say it three times and Rob will show up. (laughs) I'm like the candy man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
No, you know, like, obviously Trump is not prepared to lead in this moment at all. And, you know, like, it seems like all the goodwill that some politicians have built up for how they've handled coronavirus is just immediately going out the door with how they're handling the protests. I, I couldn't, uh, you know, I was I was willing to defend Garcetti against almost any kind of uh, criticism for a while there. And now I am ready to bury him at the bottom of that of that hall like news newsome too i mean to both of them honestly uh, you know newsome i feel like the really weird thing about california politics is that because newsome is a northern california guy and he stays up in sacramento and he's based in the northern part of california there's almost like a separation between it's like almost living in two states it's like north and south dakota you know so yeah, when yeah. <laughs> I feel like sometimes when things happen in L.A., you know, like he doesn't quite grasp it the same as if it happened in San Francisco, you know, because it's I so much more that, real Corey. if he's there. I got a solution. <laughs> Go ahead. Cal exit. Cal exit. We just get out and then basically we can have North and South Dakota, except for it's the state of Los Angeles, <laughs> the state of Orange, the state of Riverside, the state of San Diego. State of San Diego, and then we just run our own, and Sacramento becomes the national capital, and the inevitability is Oregon joins us, Washington joins us, uh, Nevada joins us, and when they do, by the way, Sacramento becomes a functionally centered capital, which yeah. does not happen on the North American continent. That's very true. You know, I, it catalogs it just, it, it, uh, it solves everything, really, um, and uh as the uh, preeminent position for benevolent dictator of the new California Republic, uh, it'll still be a republic. It's the People's Republic of California. Um, <laughs> I must say, I think we should move in that direction. Well, so specifically with the with the issues of the protests and stuff like that, uh, if you were, say you were picked as the person to help negotiate a potential solution with Garcetti, right? You were you were you were voted the spokesman for the for the protest and mm-hmm. you're going to have a meeting with Garcetti to speak about what you think can can help make realistic change today. Uh, what what is on your your list of demands, do you think? Like what do you, where, where would you want to go if you were trying to make substantial change in sort of like the activist area of the 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 coin? So, I mean, this is the difficulty because he's taken some of the right steps. Uh, California is going to close all of our juvenile prisons. The idea that we're sticking children in prison and someone's making money off of that is unconscionable. There's been, that word's been used a lot today, but it's unconscionable. So he's taken that step in the right direction. Um, I think that on beyond that, though, there is more that can be done, but it can't be done today. Like force the cities and the counties when they renegotiate their collective bargaining agreements with the police officers to say, no, we are not going to give you this. And you know what? I don't support calling out the national guard, but if the police say, no, we're not accepting this agreement. And I, you don't understand. And Corey can tell you how much it's going to burn me to say this. The union is too strong and we need to back them down. And if the police say, we're not accepting your agreement, we're going on strike. Fine. Call out the National Guard uh, just for, you know, the biggest of crimes. Because what do we learn in New York and Baltimore when the cops went on strike? Crime goes down. So force them to the table to get some reasonable concessions about, I don't know, 
let us talk to you more than 15 or sooner than 15 days after an incident. Um, body cam footage is available to the public immediately. It's not the purview of the police. Um, anyone, uh, I mean, and listen, I, I told people this week, I've been pushing for this since 2004 or again, can back this insurance, private insurance for police officers. Stop making the public pay for all of those claims. Well, there's if also you, been talk about people who wanted to make, uh, the union and maybe the benefits of the union pay towards the uh, potential judgments of a, an officer who got uh, involved in something as opposed to the state. If, if you want to do that, that's one way to go. I don't think that you'll ever get the union to do that. So you have to break the union or go a different way and say, fine, we're going to make you get private insurance. And when you become uninsurable, when they say too many incidents, too many payouts, we are not insuring you. You cannot be a police officer in California anymore. And you'll limit the number of bad cops just that way. Mm. But, uh, I mean, I think that's a start. Um, I also have the innate belief that we should have a statewide police uh, database, let's say. And Corey, who lives in downtown Los Angeles, should never be assigned to downtown Los Angeles. He probably shouldn't be assigned to Los Angeles at all. He should go up to a neighborhood what he doesn't know. Uh, and then someone, let's say he's assigned to Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. Well, an officer from Oakland, California will be assigned to downtown L.A., where he formerly lived. The idea being you invest in the neighborhoods that you are protecting, that you're an officer in, but you don't have those deep roots where it's like, I know that guy. I'm going to make this personal um, or, you know, I I'm going to let somebody off just because I know who they are. And by moving police around and making sure that they're well, by the way, also more than six months of training. Can we try that? <laughs> I, I had to go through four years of undergrad, three years of law school in order to understand the law. I do. I do not hold police accountable for not knowing the law. I don't know all of the laws and I'm a lawyer, maybe more than six months of training and maybe focus less on the guns. Okay. Keep the guns because they already are bad enough shots, but also add in some legal training so that I can send, I as the governor could send you out. Here's an update to all the laws that changed in the last session that might impact you while you're out. And you can easily read this and understand how that changes what you do on the street. Those four steps, I think, by themselves. There there were a couple of things I was thinking about, too, uh, in addition to that. I think one thing, I I remember uh, Mosby's office said something along the lines of we have a list of 150 officers that we can't call because you know if they if they went on the stand as a as a witness then they would just be ruined because of all the past problems that they have if any person in any form of government whether it's the police department or the state's attorney's office or anything has a list of police like that uh then they should all just be gone i, I don't know why I don't know why we uh, are protecting people that can't be even serve as witnesses and trials for their police work. You know, like, yeah, I, I mean, listen, if I was so incompetent that no one at my job could trust me on that job, I would not have my job anymore. Right. Why are we allowing that to continue with the people who are supposed to protect us? Yeah, I mean, and you know, uh, beyond that, I think anything that taxpayer money goes towards should have open records to taxpayers as well. Uh, I can understand a a small degree of 
officers having legal protections from uh, being unmasked if there's allegations against somebody. Like, you know, obviously the same things that would happen if it's, you know, when we talked about Trump being involved in Cohen's thing, he was individual A in the in the brief. Yeah. You can write a report that says Officer A was accused of doing this. And then if the grand jury comes out and charges him with something, then you can unseal the name. Yeah. But, you know, like basic basic protection should apply. But I feel like the ones that keep officers from having to say anything for seven months while they get their story together and cities burn because we don't have any kind of ability to call on the officers to get their their statement. If I was I mean, like just putting in terms of a civilian, if I go out and murder Rob, then I could be brought into the police station that very night. They yeah. could they could yeah. find me 10 minutes after I did the murdering, pull me into the police station, ask me questions. If I if I didn't ask for a lawyer, then I could sit there and a- answer questions. But eventually, even if I do have a lawyer, I'm going to have to answer questions to somebody at some point. Yep. So or you have to go on the record saying I am not going to answer those questions. Right. That's the difference is the cops get to stay silent and don't get to say anything. And then later on, put together a story that may or may not make sense. Right. After talking to other cops and other people. like If Corey goes in there and says, I want my lawyer, great. But then there is no statement by him. And the official position is he lawyered up. And for good or bad, people will take a sentiment from that. Same should be there for the police. If you really think you did nothing wrong and that it was all by the book, go in there and make a statement as such. And then we know. So there and, you I, go. and I mean, beyond that, I feel like more civilian review boards would be good. More people who are uh, uh, empowered, on, civil empowered to be able to uh, do things and uh, maybe even sort of push internal affairs like some. I, I would I would very much like a citizen overview of internal affairs, because I feel like if there yes. was somebody in, you know, Baltimore, for instance, who was looking at all the things that was happening in internal affairs, they would say, why don't you look at this one again? Like, please. This uh, this Wayne Jenkins guy. I feel like he needs a he needs a quick look over. Yeah, it's not, not adding up under the table. Yeah. Um. So we originally started talking about this, and uh, and I don't I actually now that I see what's left, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but there's an issue called qualified immunity, and that is that uh, certain people, when acting under the color of state authority, uh, are immune from prosecution and or immune from uh, private lawsuits about their. Uh, about their their actions as long and, as as long as the the action was viewed as reasonable to somebody within the same field so like if another officer uh or if nine out of ten officers would take the same shot that you did then you have qualified immunity from that shooting because everyone agrees that in that situation they would have done the same thing if you well, just randomly walk into a Seven Eleven and start spraying bullets then that's a completely different thing and one exception to that uh, is <clears throat> if you are charged uh, and the grand jury comes back with no true bill or you go to trial and are acquitted, you are automatically afforded qualified immunity because then a body has reviewed the evidence and said you acted reasonably. And that's yeah. where we get into a problem because uh, the rule generally is that a prosecutor can get a true bill against a ham sandwich if they really want to, because they are the only ones presenting evidence. They're the only ones who get to talk. So if a prosecutor doesn't want a true bill, they don't get one. And then the officer can say, well, you presented evidence to the grand jury. 
they said it was reasonable. So now I get qualified immunity from the family trying to collect. Right. But uh, the reason that's in the news is because, uh, ironically, both the right and the left, the conservatives and the liberals, are attacking qualified immunity, and it looks like it's going to the Supreme Court. One side is saying qualified immunity doesn't go far enough. <laughs> the other side is saying qualified immunity uh, is protecting officers from uh, situations in which they should be held accountable. Right. And it looks like the Supreme Court's going to hear that case, uh, and then... Uh, God help us, we'll have a decision. I can't imagine it's going to be one that I agree with uh, based on the makeup of the court right now, but they have surprised me. So I suppose we'll have to wait and see. I uh, there There's a couple a couple names on there. I mean, uh, so Clarence Thomas, apparently, this is something that has been a bugaboo of his for a while now. So, yeah. uh, you know, if you're looking at at people that might potentially vote the other way as to what you might assume, then Clarence Thomas might be in there. Roberts is surprised us a ton, too. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, it wouldn't shock me if that went the same way as well. I would imagine, though, that uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch have to have to continue their blood oath to the president and uh, yeah. do whatever uh, do he would want. Roberts, for his to his credit, has been very much about the um, uh, the bad apples doctrine, I suppose, yeah. where he's just like, I, I'm not putting in protections for bad cops. Uh, no, if you can't get a search warrant for this, you had no reason to be there. Yeah. Uh, and while others on the court have been like, what? It's a cop. Let's just trust what he says. I get pulled over by them all the time with beer in my car and they don't do anything. I don't understand what you're big. Cop. It's, it's always yeah. amazing to me when, uh, uh, especially like when I was looking into the gun trace task force stuff where it's like, uh, one Supreme Court decision where it's just like, okay, it's all right for an officer to walk up to your house, put the key in the door, open up the door, and walk inside the house. That doesn't violate any kind of search warrant <laughs> issues. And it's just like, as soon as you tell a cop that that's, a, that's like a loophole in the system, that, guess what? Every cop starts doing <laughs> exactly yeah. that. And well, that's part what of every cop says that they did, yeah. not whether they did it or not. But they're like, oh, this is the story I always tell. Yeah. Uh, oh, so b before we get into the last topic of the night, Corey, I just want to take one more opportunity. Still, still, still burning. burning. All right. Still burning. Um, so uh, as promised earlier in the episode, I want to make sure that we touch on the issues of martial law, the Insurrection Act of 1807 and the Posse Comitatus Act. Yes. So uh, if you are all right, uh, I will take the lead on this section and then uh, we can discuss uh, after a little bit of explanation. Yeah, well, first, let me, let, let's just set up. Uh, I assume people oh, sure. have seen yeah. it by now, but uh, it happened just a couple hours ago, so maybe people have missed it. Uh, Trump had a Rose Garden address, uh, which he didn't seem to care about at all. Like, he, he, he was just going through the motions on that one. Uh, made special mention of the Second Amendment and protecting the Second Amendment, even though people were exercising their First Amendment rights not too far away from him. And uh, uh, while well, saying that he is a champion for peaceful protesters, had peaceful protesters uh, hit with uh, tear gas and rubber bullets and pepper spray and the whole lot. And uh, then he had them all moved out of Lafayette Park so that he could take a photo op in front of St. John's Church, which is right on the other side of the White House uh, and has been there since the early 1800s. And it's like a a very famous church for presidents to go to because it's so close to the white house. 
Uh, when they go regularly, yeah. you know, when they're good Christians. Right. The ones who actually are, you know, like uh, devout. But he goes over there. He holds his Bible up, which uh, I'm sure uh, somebody had to run to borders and go pick up for him. One correction. <laughs> he was asked specifically, is that your Bible? And he looked at the reporter and said, it's a Bible. <laughs> so we know it was not his. It is now. So uh, during this address, he said that uh, if the governors are not going to step up and do the right thing, then he is going to use the U.S. military to help clean up the situation in these cities all across the country. Uh, He apparently had said something earlier in a conference call with all the governors, uh, (laughs) which did not go well. He's been promising protesters that they're going to deal with very, very vicious animals and unheard of weapons or something like that. Like everything he's saying is just like a little child trying to act tough. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a, uh, a horrifying legal side of this, too. So, Rob, if you want to uh, take it over now and sort of talk about posse comatitis <laughs> and the insurrection. Act. Yes. So um, let's start with this. Um Trump is calling on an 1807 law uh, called the Insurrection Act uh, in order to justify sending federal troops in in their military status to the states. And the Insurrection Act of 1807 essentially says that um, if a state is overwhelmed, that the federal government can then go in in a military function um, and offer... Uh, police actions. And it's important uh, they understand that. But I think that the more important thing is the interplay between the um, Insurrection Act of 1807 as amended. It was later amended in uh, 1877. And the Posse Comitatus Act, which is essentially was passed at the same time. So a brief history lesson uh, for not for Corey, of course, uh, who knows all of these history things that I always bring up to him, but uh, (laughs) perhaps one for everyone else. Um, The Civil War was actually the last open insurrection that we had uh, when we talk about a country or a group trying to break away. There have been other times when the Posse Comitatus Act was used uh, in conjunction with the Insurrection Act, most recently in 1992 in the L.A. riots. Uh, Before that, um, in the riots in 1968, before that, uh, Detroit um, coal uh, or Pennsylvania coal miners, um, Detroit auto workers, Basically, uh, to send in federal troops where uh, work needed to be done, and the local government was either unwilling or unable to do so. Most notably of these was uh, Brown versus Board of Education and asserting that, yes, these girls are going to, the Little Rock Nine, could go to their school. When George Wallace, uh, not the governor of Arkansas, but the governor of Alabama, uh, famously said he would stand in the, co- in the uh, schoolhouse door and did so. Because he would rather be known as the racist that kept little black girls from going to school than the guy who, you know, integrated the schools of Alabama. Yeah. So uh, these two laws interact in a very important way. What the Insurrection Act of 1807 was in 1807 is not important. How it was modified in 1877 is essentially uh, to make a deal to close out the Civil War. That was the most contested presidential election. I don't know if you guys can hear the sirens. Yeah, apologies to anyone who's listening to this. We're obviously dealing with uh, (laughs) some problems outside. So something's going on in Hollywood. (laughs) Uh, um, So uh, 
basically there was a deal struck. Uh, it's uh, Samuel Tilden and Rutherford B. Hayes. Um, neither of them had enough electoral votes in order to win the presidency. Um, there were 20 contested votes. And they struck a deal where they said, if you end Reconstruction, we'll change our votes and make you president. And Hayes agreed. So after that happened in 1876, in 1877, they modified laws to assure that Reconstruction could never happen again. Most importantly, that federal troops cannot be used at a state or local level unless, one, under the Insurrection Act, there is an open insurrection against the state or the federal government. That's important. Um, And at the time, Reconstruction was seen as, listen, you pacified us. We're back as part of the U.S. Now you need to get the federal troops out and let us police, Um, which they weren't going to do. Jim Crow, which happened after that, was a huge sign of that. But... um, the other, the other part of that was um, you can only use uh, troops if and when there's an open insurrection. But if some local issue were to arise and the local and state authorities were overwhelmed, then you can, in fact, send in federal troops as a military unit, not as a, uh, a police unit. Yeah. However, they would be basically doing police a- uh, actions. And... Posse Comitatus, which was passed at the same time, essentially said that it wasn't the National Guard, but now we call it the National Guard, would instead be activated, where a governor could ask for federal troops to be made available to him. They would be activated at the state level and under the control of the governor, uh, and the governor could then cede control to local authorities, like the mayor of of Los Angeles. Mm. And it would uh, basically just add additional bodies to the fight so that uh, we saw it in Baltimore in 2015. Literally, they were just patrolling the Inner Harbor. And it was like, well, no one's going to act up because there are 19 Humvees between Light Street and, uh, you know, the the building at the end of the Inner Harbor. So no one's going to act up. It's a show of force. Right. The difference is what Trump is claiming now is that he will overrule uh, the governors. And this is an important kind of facet of it. In 2008... Uh, there was a secret amendment to the Insurrection Act, which includes the Posse Comitatus Act, passed by a, a still unknown congressman, or offered by an unknown congressman, and passed by Congress, which said the president does not need the authority of the governors in order to come in. And as soon as this hit the Federal Register, all 50 governors got together and said, no. Um, and I think the, the honest to God answer to this is they were more worried about how Obama would use this than they were worried about how Bush was going to use it in his last year. So they rolled it back. And now we are back to the 1876, 1877 version of the law that requires that the governor request federal troops. Uh, the president cannot send in troops unless the, they are requested by the governor or that people are in open insurrection and have usurped the governor or the local authority. Um, now, burning a police station does not qualify. Uh, if in California, protesters who are organized, and they're not, swarmed the governor's mansion and the state house in Sacramento and basically kept the government from functioning, then the president can send in troops to quell the insurrection and essentially put the governor back in control and then they have to withdraw. Yeah. That's the rule. Or they have to start taking orders from the governor. Yes. Or or the governor would say, I'd like you to stay. We're going to activate you as National Guard troops. You are now under my authority, not the president's. Right. The important thing is the president does not get to decide anything because the, gov- the president is not here on the ground. Um, 
The last time it was used in more than one place was by Lyndon Johnson in 1968 between April 5th and April 7th, where Detroit, uh, Baltimore, um, and I think two other cities, federal troops were sent in. And essentially, the president, Johnson, felt as though the city and the state were not being truthful about how bad the situation was, and likely he was correct about that. But once the troops were there, then those local authorities were like, well, since you're here, we're going to activate you as National Guard troops, and we are going to have you as police. So although the action was under the Insurrection Act, it was later like, well, we, we meant to call you guys all the time. So posse comitatus, you can come in and be uh, National Guard now. Um, so... The president is doing something unprecedented uh, and unpresidential, honestly. But essentially, uh, and this kind of gets back to more of a discussion, he is acting like a tin pot dictator. And this is really what he wanted all along. Yeah. Well, I mean, another part of the Posse Comitatus Act, which is uh, the uh, federal, the military can't be used as like a police force, essentially. That's, that's part of what was... Uh, established there because they didn't want they didn't want the uh, military I mean like this was sort of more thought out in uh, foreign terms but they didn't want like the military to go and arrest Saddam Hussein and bring him back to America there needed to be a delineation between sort of like a police investigative division and a military division They also didn't want what we're seeing and hearing in Minneapolis. There was a report from a National Guard trooper there who was like, listen, I've done two tours in Iraq, and now you're asking me to police Minneapolis? The only experience I have policing was in Baghdad. And the rules of engagement are slightly different in Minneapolis than they are in Baghdad. Now, funny enough, and not really funny, funny sad rather than funny haha, but... um, there was a tractor trailer that was apparently like bounding down the freeway towards protesters and the national guardsmen took it out by shooting the engine block, which is something that they do in Baghdad when someone is about to run the corridor. So sad, but true. They were able to use those skills to protect the protesters. No one was hurt. Um, but that's what they are avoiding. Like you, we literally have almost no national guard troops who have not served in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere overseas. And those guys have no idea how to be police except for to be police in a place where the rules are a little more flexible about, you know, killing people. Right. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We delineate between what happens at home and what happens everywhere else. Essentially, what the president is arguing is Democratic governors, if you don't raise yourself to my standard, we are bringing back Reconstruction. And I'm going to put federal troops in to make sure that my will is done in your state. And that is just not going to fly. Um, and we, you said you were looking for a, uh, a release, a pressure break. Yeah. That ain't it. Because let me tell you, people on the street hearing that the president's about to send in federal troops, you want to see guns in the street? You want to see guys on the far right even further than Trump and guys on the far left even further than me start to get together and agree on shit? Bring federal troops in at the state level and not, see what happens. Not only that, just the mention of bringing troops in like that made me want to go out and <laughs> protest. So, I mean, like, I'm already kind of losing it with, with Garcetti and his curfew shit. But uh, uh, I, it, it's, been, it's been hard for me to, to sort of hold my tongue on this shit a little bit, you know? And I'm, 
I, I what really worries me is you know we're we're not gonna see each other for another week here on the podcast and yeah i'm just worried what else can go wrong between now and then because trump's uh the looting starts and the shooting starts was the first really bad moment of him trying to get involved in this and then his his address in the rose garden today while protesters are getting pushed out for his photo op which apparently was happening because he was so embarrassed that they got they had to send him to the bunker the other day that he wanted to like be out in the open and show that he's like not hiding away kind of thing or that he's a big tough guy and has the police take care of protesters but couldn't be there with the protesters yeah. made sure that they got out get them out of here and then i'm going to be the big tough think, guy who comes out of the think, think about this uh, if you're if you're the leader that this moment needs if you would go out there and talk to people and they would listen to you yeah. uh if trump went out and tried to address the protesters he would never get in a word in edgewise if obama went out there i feel like there would be at least some percentage of people who would let him try and speak you know there would be there at would least be, a fight. There would in be the an crowd. attempt at a dialogue, at least. Yeah. I mean, the crowd would police itself. Like, hey, blah, 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 blah. he's not our enemy. Shut up. Let's at least hear what he has to say. Yeah. You're not going to get that no matter what right now from Trump. I, and more importantly for the Secret Service, there is a high likelihood that something very bad would happen while he was out there. Yeah. There's a lot of stones and a lot of bottles and a lot of stuff being thrown around. So who's to say? And basically, that's why they had to clear it out. But never has the hypocrisy been shown so clearly as CNN showing the president talking about being friend of the protesters on one side of your screen, just like me here. And then on Corey's side of the screen, you see tear gas being tossed at protesters to clear Lafayette park. Yeah. Uh, But you, you asked, how's it going to get worse? Uh, There was a cop killed in uh, Sacramento or Oakland and incidentally related to a protest but likely not likely somebody who was looting and then got caught and then shot the cop to try and get away more police dying that's gonna escalate uh more protesters dying that's gonna escalate i i i worry that it seems like trump took the weekend off because the looting shooting comment did not go well and uh, people, even uh, even Lindsey Graham on Meet the Press was just like, I don't agree with that statement, which is a I mean, that's about it. That's about as off the chain as Lindsey Graham gets these days when it comes to Trump. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I just worry that tomorrow Trump is going to wake up and try and fix this situation again and just make things worse all over. Like my my number one concern for the last couple of days has been what is Trump going to do to ruin this situation, to make this worse? Yeah. And uh, today he, he took a very valiant attempt at trying to make this way worse. And I think that, I think that if he continues to push along this this same sort of talking points, he's going to find himself. Uh, I, I just don't, I don't even understand. Like. At this point, Trump has to realize he's got to expand his base a little bit, right? Like, no, no. Um, uh, the the irony, and and I don't want to get into side stories because we wanted to focus this week. But uh, the Trump campaign and the RNC sent out two flyers this week. One of them said, "Voting by mail is a fraud," and the other one to their base was, "Make sure you vote by mail." Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's the irony that he thinks if he can dis- disqualify enough voters and his people definitely vote that he can win only on the backs of those voters. 
I I just can't. I, I don't know. I. He's not listening to advisors on literally anything. You think he's listening to them about the election? I tell you that, you know, we didn't get to it at all this week. Uh, but the one thing that really kind of makes me nervous about all the protests that are happening right now is uh, what will ha- th- this is going to be our first test of what crowds and coronavirus do, because there yeah. are a lot of people yeah. who are not keeping distance. There's a lot of people not wearing masks. Uh, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, if you're yelling at somebody, then you're more likely to project spittle or something like that in the in that mm-hmm. case, uh, which I, I'm sure is not great for the situation that we're in right now. Uh, no. I, I I worry. And how do that you contact trace? A week from now, we're going to have a a really bad string of cases. Yeah, and everything um, that we did to try and flatten the curve and like you know stay stay at home and and uh uh get back to normal life is all going to be for naught because you know we're all and not that you know it's hard to say you know wait until the coronavirus is over to protest your your problems you know minnesota could have not killed george floyd and we (laughs) we would have not been in this situation so Yep, yep Um, well, I think the ironic thing is, as much as he has been chastised for his handling of Corona, if you're looking for a pressure break, you know, uh, half the protesters coming down with Corona and having to go back home, that might be the pressure break. The Trump may end up thanking Corona for pushing down the pressure and kind of calming things down before this is over with. Just wait until he thanks Corona and then... Uh... Anderson Cooper does 45 minutes of, I can't even believe it, this fucking guy. (laughs) And I am a little upset that you spoke that into existence because that may be, in fact, what happens. Someone may mention to him, like, well, sir, you really have Corona to thank for this because it sent a bunch of the protesters home. And next thing you know, he's out in front of a microphone and just brain to mouth, no filter. I, I do en- Thank I do enjoy that uh, there's a part of Anderson Cooper which has just become uh, detached from the like today he was just like I was having a good day I just wanted to read the news now you're hitting me with this shit and I don't even know if I want to do it anymore <laughs> like it's like he's breaking in real time. Chris Cuomo is uh, is the guy that the more you punch him, the more he gets angry and wants to hit you back. Anderson Cooper is the guy that like you hit him and all of a sudden he's like, you know, what? I don't even, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I, I don't want any part of this anymore. <laughs> I'm a Vanderbilt. God damn it. <laughs> I don't need this shit. I got family money. I don't need this fucking job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so I guess we'll have to reconvene next week and see where we stand. We may or may not be in studio next week. I guess we'll see. Um, it would be almost unprecedented for 14 days of violence and curfews. So yeah, that would that would be uh, that would be a new record for for our lifetime at the very least. Yeah, um, I mean, other than Occupy, which I think was a different beast. It was about being there and staying there. This is marches. This is getting your voice heard. It, I think it would be a an unprecedented event for marches to continue for 14 straight days. Uh, so I guess we'll have to see. Um, but the important thing to keep in mind is that whether they're marching this time next week, we're not going to solve the problem by this time next week. No. And so that will continue to be, although 
Corey and I may move back into talking about Corona or talking about movie theaters reopening, which we're both super excited for, or possibly barbershops being open again, which I don't know. I'm super excited for, despite the fact that we may move on and talk about whatever topic of the week is, uh, is the topic of the week. We recognize as a unit the systematic nature of discrimination against people. We stand against it. Our unified message is that Black Lives Matter and that that something needs to be done about the systematic racism that continues to play our country. Yes, absolutely. And the broader issues of, of inequality that extend beyond that as well. Uh, I wasn't going to rope you into all of my communist, like, egalitarian <laughs> nonsense, but if you want to rope, rope yourself in, then yeah, sure. For that sort of stuff, you want to go to our uh, com. For the good stuff, though... <laughs> Oh, the anthem dot com. the anthem dot com. Oh, the anthem on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the listener line. Four, four, three, two, one, nine, seven, five, nine, five. What's that number again? Four, four, three, two, one, nine, seven, five, nine, five. And you can find more of me on my website. Cory Baker, filmmaker dot com. Facebook dot com forward slash Cory Baker film. And at Legends TV five on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. I have a new review for Uncut Gems out right now. So you can go check that out on YouTube and Facebook and all fine social media and uh yeah that's about it for right now all right and uh of course you can find more of me at robert and cheek on all your social networks do make sure that you check out robert it's coming along slowly but surely but you can find links to uh youtube channel youtube.com forward slash rob cheek where you can find the everyman movie review uh up this week has been um uh the lovebirds uh, we have other ones up. I didn't get up an episode this this weekend. It has been an insane weekend, just like it was last weekend. So more reviews coming. Keep an eye out for those. Some older movies uh, as we close out quarantine. Uh, on robertandcheek.com, you can also find links to the books, which are available on Amazon. Byros Books. Thank you. Uh, and uh, a link to all the stuff that I'm doing. Um, you can find all of that uh, available there. So, All right. Well, I think we've done good here today. Uh, for a change, I, I would agree, but uh, just uh, for history's sake, I'll say. We've should, done something. Should we, uh, should we check live on the, the scene there? Well, that's yes, not good. Yes, uh, we've done something. <laughs> I don't know if it's good. But uh, as always, you are listening to the O The Anthem podcast, part of the O The Anthem digital network. For Corey, this is Rob. Have a great week, everybody. Now I got to get out of here because I am sweating balls off. Woo, boy, it's hot. It is ripe in here.